Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Getting you ready for all the biggest games across the college sports world. This is BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Welcome, welcome, welcome to BetQLU. As the introduction suggests, my name is Jeffrey Wright. I am the co-host of the Giannotto and Jeffrey Show here in Memphis, Tennessee. You can hear us Monday through Friday from 3 until 5 Eastern. You can stream us live anywhere on the Odyssey app. RJ is out today, so I'm pleased to welcome to the program Shay Norling. Shay is the producer of The Daily Tip. Of course, you can hear The Daily Tip weekdays on the BetQL network as well as the Odyssey app. Go give him a follow on Twitter, at Shay Norling. Shay, what's going on, my man? What's happening? Excited to be here talk about some uh, college hoops, a little college football news, so I'm ready to get into it. Shay, I guess let's start with the drama that we were discussing last week here on BetQLU, and that is the drama unfolding at Auburn. Well, the plot thickens after the president essentially said we are looking into facts, trying to establish what was true and what was false, essentially saying uh, if you think that we're trying to quell uh, whether or not we have a coaching uh, controversy, uh, let me just go ahead and pour some gasoline on that. Well, the plot thickens. Today, Auburn announces that Brian Harson will return. It is following a completion of a university-directed inquiry into the program. According to Pete Thamel and Chris Lowe of ESPN, Harson has been in limbo for the past eight days and news, as the news surfaced that the school has been scrutinizing the exodus of coaches and players that accompanied his rocky first season. The Auburn Tigers started 6-2 and two before losing their five final games. I guess, Shay, being here in SEC country and having friends that have covered Auburn for a very long time, I can really distill it down to this. Auburn was trying to fire, Auburn was trying to fire Brian Harson with cause. They found out they didn't probably have cause. It was going to cost him $18 million. No matter what the internet rumors are or are not, honestly, half the time, I think they're probably true. I don't really think it mattered. The biggest problem that he had is uh, they went six and seven. And even if you throw out the bowl game in which, you know, no one, I think he had like 20 scholarship players. The bigger issue is that they did not sign anyone on national signing day. They've lost 18 players to the transfer portal. They've not gotten anything in return from the transfer portal. This is all about the power brokers at Auburn being very frustrated. This wasn't their hire to begin with. This is the hire that Auburn ends up making. And, this is all 
to me about a guy that I don't care if he makes the season or whatnot. Like he's going to get fired. Now it's just a question of when. Right. Well, yeah. And I think like, by the way, they lost five assistant coaches. Like there's an exodus in every facet of this program. And that's not Eric, something. Eric Mason, it's not just losing coaches. Derek Mason took a $400,000 pay cut to go to Oklahoma State. Right. Like people that's want how- out. Yeah. And that's yeah. so I think like when you look at what's coming out now where like players are publicly saying that they feel like they were treated like dogs and you have look whether you think that the rumors are true that we're seeing online or not I tend to think that like you I lean to the side of these things are true but also there's probably a good amount of exaggeration going on because it serves the best interest of the power brokers at Auburn to be like things were really really bad and kind of oversell what was going on so that maybe they can get away from Brian Harson without having to deal with the buyout but you're right this really has to come down to like being 6 and 7 losing 18 guys in the portal losing five assistant coaches guys are taking pay cuts by the way you got to pull up to the SEC coaches meeting in the back of a cop car because you need to be snuck in a side door and then you leave like madonna with your sunglasses on you won't answer any questions it's just like yeah things are well, really bad at auburn part, did you see it he tried to go madonna and he tried to play it cool he went to the wrong rental car <laughs> and he was trying to get in the wrong rail car. It was a tough scene. Like, oh, my he, bad. I you thought you were tell. my Uber. Yeah, no, it's it's it gets a tough scene because you could tell as you as you clearly pointed out, he's trying to play it cool and he's trying to act like nothing's going on, and that just shows that he is like every other human being in that situation. Like he is shook. Yeah, like oh, he can't yeah. even figure out where his car is. Like as no idea. Like it's a miracle he found his keys. But to me, I guess the larger question that I have. I understand everyone always says, well, it's about money. It is about money. I, I, to me, like, you're going to have to pay him anyway. Like, I, to me, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you bringing this guy back? Like, are, are you trying to publicly embarrass him? Or are you trying to, like, this makes no sense. Because you've already established, based on your behavior, you do not believe in this guy. Right. What's the point of bringing him back? Because everyone does this, well, look at the buyout, look at the buyout. Y'all, one of the most important aspects of the financials for these universities, especially these SEC teams, in the end, Ed Orgeron got fired because Tiger Stadium had 65,000 people in it. Yeah, They were losing probably $15 million in game day revenue each and every week. Like You're going to lose more money because now everyone's just sitting there going, well, this is an S show. Like, well, what are we doing here? Well, I think the best point, too, is like, Anybody trying to count the money in Auburn's pockets is fighting the wrong fight. Like they can afford to buy out Brian Harson if it's in their best interests, because at the end of the day, if you buy out Brian Harson and you get a better coach, even if you have to pay up for him and next year you're in a prestigious bowl on a 10 win season because you got the right guy and you were able to make moves in the transfer market. Like, look, we've seen power five teams do this. Michigan state was a catastrophe, went out, got the right guy two seasons later, they have an 11 win season and a new year's six bowl win because they went in the transfer portal and they played like a big boy. Like if that's what Auburn wants to do and they have the financials to do it, paying 18 million to get rid of this guy is a no brainer and it's easy and you don't have to count their pockets because they have the money. It's Auburn. We're not talking about like rice college here. Auburn can afford to do this. Yeah, I think this is actually an identity crisis in what we're seeing. And I mean, when I say an identity crisis, I'm talking about the 
Auburn program as a whole because a lot of this stems from a yes disappointing year last year, especially when they got off to a, a that six and two start wasn't a miracle start. I mean, Auburn's got standards here. I'm not saying like, oh, that was a, a tremendous start, but it was the type of start where they looked at the rest of their schedule sure. and they thought, okay, eight and four, nine and three, like, you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a good first year. We'll take that into recruiting. We'll get some new guys and, and then we'll be off and running. The reality of the problem was Auburn is used to this world in which Auburn's always been able to recruit well in what I would refer to as kind of the under the table generation, the under the table era, if you will. Well, now that everything has gotten public and we're doing this thing where we're switching uh, the term name, image, and likeness for salary, Auburn can't compete at this level. Right. When Texas A&M is you know, throwing $31 million around to a signing class, Auburn can't compete in that world. And then furthermore, Auburn had always had success getting into Georgia. Well, now Kirby Smart has locked down the state of Georgia at a level that no one has ever seen. And so I think what we're seeing is Auburn panics on National Signing Day. They got into bidding wars. They didn't get anyone. They don't sign anyone. And now they're throwing a hissy fit because, damn it, they're Auburn. Like, it's a proud program. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be. But I think my larger point would be I think Auburn's going to become maybe a poster child of programs that were used to the way that it was, and then now they're going to struggle to figure out how to, how to live in this world. Because I like the example of Michigan State that you just used, because I do not think Michigan State can go toe-for-toe toe and just say, we're going to out-recruit Ohio State, no, we're going to out-recruit Michigan, yeah. we're going to out-recruit Penn State, and we're going to build a roster that way. I don't think they can do that. But they can go get 10 guys in the transfer portal and trust that the guys that they're getting are good fits, and they can build a roster that way. Honestly, this is what we just saw Lane Kiffin do at Ole Miss. Lane basically, I forget the finished numbers, but I want to say maybe of their 25 guys they signed, 14 were transfer guys. And I think if you're not Texas A&M, if you're not Texas, honestly, and USC, that appears to be the guys that in yeah. this new NIL world, they're going to be the, they're going to replace kind of Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia to a certain extent. If you're not one of these programs that can just dole out these just astronomical amounts of money, I think that's how you're going to have to build a roster. I think it's just going to be transfer portal. You know what I mean? Like, it basically, like, anyone outside well, of, like, a top seven or eight job, I think they're just going to be a transfer portal school. I would also say something Michigan State proved to me is, like, as much as we can say Auburn's not – it really comes down to Auburn's not willing to put that money on the table because what Michigan State did that showed me you're ready is, like, you went and got a coach – you paid him through your nose. You gave him the empowerment to go and get million-dollar coordinators. Like, for our interests as a sports betting show, look, Auburn plays in the same state as Alabama. They're recruiting the same level of talent. They're trying to get into the same pipelines. But they're not willing to do what Alabama does and pay through the nose for a coach, empower him to get whoever he wants out of the NFL like Bill O'Freakin' Brian to call plays and be a million-dollar coordinator. Like, Auburn doesn't feel ready to do that. So I feel like, to your point, 
you're right. Like going forward, this does feel like one of those teams that maybe, and in a sports betting world, every year it's going to be like they're a top three, top four favorite to win the SEC. And every year they're going to end up being closer to the bottom, kind of like Michigan was for a f- 10 years there. Well, they struggled to figure out what it was that they wanted to do. And now it feels like they might be back, but who knows how long that sticks. You look at Auburn, I think they're kind of looking like they might embark on the same path because they don't know what they want to do. I don't think it's fair to say they don't want to pay for coordinators and that the, that they're acting kind of, you know, sh- you know, champagne taste on a beer budget. I think how I would phrase it is they don't want to pay top notch yeah. for Brian Harson. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the way that it essentially worked was Auburn's power brokers decided they were done with Gus and they were ready to fire him and move on. They had a deal in place where they were going to promote Kevin Steele, who was their guy. Kevin Steele was essentially the face of a coup, and that was going to be what they were going to do. Well, that plan leaked out, and the rest of the Auburn fan base was like, this is so small time. They revolted, and then all of a sudden, they have to scrap that plan. They tear it up, and then the Auburn boosters at that point couldn't get on the same page for who they wanted. Well, that allowed, in the meantime, Auburn's – new young athletic director, Alan Green, to conduct his own search. And his own search went and yielded Brian Harson. And while the rank and file fans kind of were like, okay, like no one was like jumping for joy. Right. Like I don't think with Brian Harson, Brian Harson's never going to be the guy that you sit there and like you're just going to throw a party over. He's he's the ultimate like football coach. Like he's a football guy, football coach. And so because of that, it was very dependent on him winning to get up and build support, build momentum, the way they finished the season, the way that recruiting went, it just completely neutered him. And so now they're left in just kind of this purgatory in which it seems very obvious to me where this is headed, but I don't know why Auburn is delaying the inevitable. Like, well, and I just does I find, it really matter between eighteen millions of a buyout or fifteen million? Like you're paying them anyway. That's my point at the end of the day, and I find this all really fascinating when you get into the Texas A and M side of things. Because as much as like Jimbo Fisher is in the in the news apologizing for the way he's doing things, I think it's a mistake. Like, yes, I think there should be some level of regulation to disallow sort of what A and M is doing from just like we're going to pay guys whatever they want. But also, Jimbo, you should be going, hey look at me and flex your muscles a little bit because you're going to get the best players this way. Like, that's the way you should do it. If you're an A&M fan, you shouldn't apologize for anything, in my opinion. And that's where I look at Auburn and I go, is the rest of the SEC ready to behave this way or is A&M just going to be the future in this NIL world? I think the rest of the SEC would love to behave that way. I think what we're seeing is, Let's say you're let's say you're a wealthy business owner in Houston. And I'm not talking like small business owner, you know, that makes, you know, a couple million, does amazingly well, but you are you own a very big business. Most of those guys are not super comfortable putting five hundred grand on the table to go get some players. Doesn't mean they don't want to see AM win, but they don't want to do it under the table. Now all of a sudden I can have these guys represent my business. I can write it off as an advertising expense. Now, all of a sudden, that's gone legitimate. They're willing to do it. And I think what we're seeing is there's only going to be a handful of schools that can do it that way, Texas, Texas A&M, and then the other one that I'm, I'm consistently told that can do it is USC. And so I think, for me, big picture moving forward, 
watching how watching how these programs that have not only proven success but like historically proven success watching how they're going to pivot is going to be very fascinating to me i even think to a small degree alabama is going to be in this i mean we'll have to wait and see some of the traditional i mean i'm in big 10 country so i see some of the traditional powers like michigan kind of resist this but we'll have to wait and see which of these teams come out i think it is going to be really fascinating to watch when we come back, we turn our attention to college basketball. We'll take a look at some of the contenders as well as some of the big games of the weekend. He's Shea. I'm Jeffrey. This is BetQLU. You're listening to BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Hey, welcome you back to PetQL. Use the introduction. Yes, my name is Jeffrey Wright. You can call me on Twitter at jwright 929 espn Shay Norling filling in for RJ Choppy. Shay, let's turn our attention to the world of college basketball. I got some Big Ten questions for you because sure. I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm skeptical as per usual as we get into, like, let's be real. This is, this is real-time college basketball when we're getting into conference tournaments and then the tournament as well. Let's start here. Who do we actually believe in that is a legitimate contender right now? You know, honestly, for me, and I'm a big, I don't know, it comes down to, like, how much you really appreciate or, like, use Kempom or what you value with it. But, like, last year all season, it felt like Gonzaga was just this juggernaut team, the undefeated record, obviously, and then they get slaughtered in the national title game. So now this year it kind of feels like everybody's burnt on them. They don't want to trust them again. But if you really get, like, dive into some of these metrics – It looks like Gonzaga and everyone else again. And whether or not Mark Few can win that big game, that last game of the year in the tournament will remain to be seen. But as far as who do I trust, like right now, Gonzaga, Arizona, Kentucky, maybe Kansas, outside of that group, maybe Houston, but like outside of that group, nobody. I don't really trust anyone. A lot of teams aren't healthy. You look at Baylor. You want to trust Baylor, but they're not healthy right now. And you don't know how healthy they're going to be come March. So I think we're like in the dog days of the season where you're right. Super Bowl comes around. College basketball starts heating up. And I look down the list and I go, it feels like Gonzaga and everybody else. Yeah, I think there's this weird reality because I do think you're right in the sense that it felt like everyone finally bought into Gonzaga last year where for so long it was like prove it to us to Gonzaga. And then they play the classic with UCLA and then they get absolutely smoked by Baylor. You know, a game was never close. I think this is the interesting question for me with Gonzaga. Chet's obviously been awesome. Like, he's been, I think, everything you could have wanted from him as a, as a freshman. But I took notice of why Gonzaga got slaughtered in the title game last year. And really what it was was if you had athletic big guards that could defend, Gonzaga can't get into their offense. And then all of a sudden you know, you're, you're neutralizing their bigs that are so skilled. I kind of think they might have the same problem this year. Like, am, am I alone in seeing that? I agree that Gonzaga's good, but I, I think they might have, like, if they run into, let's say Baylor gets healthy, I think they might have the same situation. I think if they run into Kentucky, they might be in the same situation. I'm now interested. One of the teams that we didn't mention in that list where are we on Auburn? I know they lose in overtime in Arkansas. That team did go 
two months without losing a basketball game. And they've got, you know, they've got, I feel like, a solid, strong backcourt to go with an incredibly talented frontcourt. Yeah, I mean, Jabari Smith, Wendell Green, really, really nice players. And I think that it's anytime you go as long as they did with the wins that they had, I mean, you look at Gonzaga and you go, the schedule's terrible. And whether you want to pretend the conference is any good or not, they're laying 30 points every single night. The conference stinks. So I, when I look at some of the metrics and you see things like they have the fastest pace, well, of course they do because they're playing teams that just can't match them with athletes and they're going to hand them turnovers and they're going to get out and run and they know they have to win with style points, like all sorts of things that kind of factor into this. Whereas a team like Baylor, like you mentioned, or Auburn plays a little bit more of a regular season gauntlet and is more battle tested once they get to the tournament. And I do think that that tends to come back to bite uh, Gonzaga rather. Like you mentioned the classic with UCLA, that game shouldn't have been that close. And then playing against Baylor and getting killed. Baylor was as battle tested as they come. And I think that really as much as like we harp on Mark Few and say, look, you, you can get there, but you can't get over the hump. I think the lack of battle testing during the season ends up biting Gonzaga in March. And that's like plus 450. You're giving me easily the best team in college basketball at plus 450 for the national title. It sounds interesting, but at the same time, should they be longer odds because they don't play anyone? Like, are we really just inflating their stats again and doing this same circus? It's tough to trust them, and that makes it tough to trust to trust anybody because I don't really care for any of these teams right now. Even Auburn, who really away from home has struggled to win games convincingly. Yeah, you bring up a good point because I went to Pepperdine. And so I've followed this league now going back to 2007. When I started seeing this narrative developing this year, I'm I'm the guy that I listened to, okay, where what are kind of the talking points that start to develop? And then I it largely happens from the college basketball media because they're all kind of pretty, like, there's a lot of group think in it, if you will. And there was this developing narrative that the league was good this year and that you look at some of these projections and they have the league getting four teams in. Y'all, I am here to say with 1,000% certainty, this league is the same that it always is. It is rinse, repeat. Gonzaga's good. St. Mary's is okay. BYU beats up on bad teams. The rest of the league, it stinks. And, and you make an excellent point. There's no way you can be in a good league and laying 31. Like, that's just not, you know what I mean? Like, that's just not the case. But I guess for me, I think I, think I kind of like the psychological side of it that you just bring up there. I do wonder if the fact that they don't get into tight games, they're not used to that environment. Yeah. Whereas if you're playing in, a good league, I'm not saying every game's tight, but you're more comfortable down the stretch. I do wonder, and you know, maybe when they fall behind, is there like a sense of panic? Is there, I do think that that's an element of it because I'm not sure when you look at it from a talent perspective, that talent's the reason why they can't get over the hump. I think it's probably something deeper and I, I don't have a problem with the psychological side of it. I mean, you hear it all the time too. If you really like pay attention to college basketball before, uh, this time of year and you're looking at those games that happen in December and January coaches will tell you like, that's a great time where if you've just run over a week schedule and then you come up against a team and you have some late game issues and it's a tight game, you maybe don't call the right timeout or you get your rotations wrong and you end up losing. 
you then have that on film and you've learned from that and you don't make those mistakes again and you can show them in practice and in the film room and during meetings and get guys ready for those situations. Whereas like Gonzaga hasn't played a close game since the beginning of December. They don't have anything on film right now for what do we do in late game situations? Like when you're scoring 117 points against Pepperdine in a game that had 90 possessions in 40 minutes, that's not real college basketball. You're not playing real college basketball. You're taking what, eight to 10 to 11 guys who shouldn't be playing in this conference, rolling the ball out and letting them go crazy on a team. That's really terrible. Like that's, that to me is, then you look at a team like Kansas, who's got some losses that stick out and look kind of ugly, but you go, they have a lot to look back on in practice and in meetings and say, this is what happened late in this game, like the Texas loss, or this is what happened when we went up against Kentucky and got ran or gave up a lead against Texas Tech. And you can look back at those things and go, what do we need to do differently in the tournament? And we've been in this environment before, so we know how to approach it. I don't think Gonzaga has that a lot of years. Well, like I even think back to, you know, I live here in Memphis, and the Memphis title team that loses to Kansas. Well, if you look back on the year, that was back when Memphis was in Conference USA. They had one game that year in which they were really tested. It was Tennessee at home. They got into a late-game situation, and Tennessee wins the game. Even in the NCAA tournament, Memphis is rolling, 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 smoking folks. They get into the title game. They couldn't hit free throws. They couldn't put them away. And I do wonder if Kansas just being experienced and thriving in the environment of having to play, you know, those types of games, I think that matters. All right, here's something I want to toss at you. Kentucky's sitting at plus 993. And love him or hate him, however you feel about John Calipari, there's a rule that I have in life. When John goes from calling his team these kids to my guys, I start paying attention. And I absolutely hammer Kentucky. Yep. Well, after Kansas, I took notice. It might even been at halftime when he was doing the halftime interview. My guys, my guys, my guys. And I was just like, okay, he likes this team. He hasn't liked his team, I feel like, in a while. Like, it's been a couple of years. With you and your Ken Palm point, I am someone that I don't think Ken Palm should be considered the only metric that matters. Right. No, it shouldn't. But I do pay pay attention when basically every title team in the era – was either you know a top 15 offense and a top 15 defense in adjusted efficiency. Kentucky's sitting here at five on offense and 12 on defense. I, I'm I don't actually hate that at 10 to one. And by the way, they've played a decent schedule. The other thing I would bring up again about Calipari is like the years where you look at the Calipari teams and it's seven freshmen who are all five stars out of high school and you know he's rolling an NBA team out like. Those are the teams that don't do well in the tournament, typically. The times like this where he's got a 22-year-old kid transferred from West Virginia leading his team, yeah, I think we're in business. Like Kentucky, to me, this year has the experience factor on their side. They feel like a a more well-oiled machine. Calipari seems like he's having more fun than he's had in years. I love Kentucky. And as like, honestly, I hate Kentucky. Like as a fan, I would prefer they don't win. But as a better, I'm very interested because you're right. It feels like the recipe is there. Yeah, I mean, how many times can you say this? Just reading it out. Percentage of minutes, 75% from a junior. Uh, obviously, Ty Ty Washington, 70%. But that's to your point. Like, they're mixing it in with talent. 68% of minutes from a junior. 
58% from a junior. I mean, yeah, 51% two, from a senior. Two of the top contributors in their front court are juniors, and that that hasn't yeah. been the case in years that I can remember. It's always like a five-freshman lineup, and you know he's just prepping them for the NBA. It's not really like an interest in going, and they want to win. I don't want to say they don't want to win, but it's it always has felt like the NBA is the priority, and this team feels very different. This team feels like winning a national championship is the priority. No, and, and I credit Cal. Like last year, they brought in the massive signing class, and it was all the young guys. And with it being a COVID year, they just never got it going. And he said, you know what? Screw that. I'm going to go mix in some young talent, but I'm getting old, and, and I'm going to stay old. And he went in the transfer portal, and he identified some really good guys. All right, here's what I want to discuss with the Big Ten. I think in terms of top to bottom, in terms of competitiveness, I think the Big Ten is one of the best leagues to watch. Just as a, a you know, forget the betting side of you it. You don't watch it very often, term- do you? You you must not watch it very well, much. Well, in, you did, watching Wisconsin's awful. Totally I will wrong. tell you, like but, I watched Wisconsin Michigan State the other night, and 15 minutes yeah. of game time went through without a made jumper. The Big Ten is super uh, competitive. It is abhorrent basketball. I see, though. I view it as that's college basketball in general. Like I think college basketball is a bad watch. But I, the thing I like about the league is that, you know, there's usually 10 teams that are pretty good. Not Maybe not all tournament teams, but there's usually 10 teams that are pretty good. I just always get gun-shy getting into the tournament because yeah. I sometimes think the, the competitiveness of the league might inflate it. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I'm antsy. Is there someone I can believe in this year? No. I wanted to believe in Purdue, but they don't play defense. And then, you know, they get absolutely curb stomped last night against Michigan. Who is someone to put your faith in in that league? I mean, February, January, February, Izzo, as much as like it gets trolled now, is a real thing. But there's a reason why this conference hasn't won a national title in 21 years. Like, there is a reason why. It's because they get inflated. And it's because we saw it last year. What, they had 11 teams make the tournament and 10 of them lost in the first round? Like the, or the first weekend, this, this is the way this yep. conference and, works. They don't. Yeah, I think one one got to the second weekend, and then one, one of the teams was Izzo. Remember, they got knocked in the play-in. They, UCLA beat them in the play-in. Yeah, and uh, they blew a like seven-point lead in the final three minutes. Like this is this is a conference where every year they get kind of pimped, and every year everybody makes an early exit. Maybe one team makes a final four and they get blasted or Michigan miracle runs to the national title where they get blasted like that. Every single season, it just feels like the big 10 is made up of frauds. One team maybe can make a little bit of a run, but they're not going to win anything. And that's where like Purdue, I'm not going to trust a team that's outside the top 100 in defensive metrics to do anything in the tournament because they can't stop anybody. And in the tournament, you want to rely on athletic guards with big shot-making capability. Purdue's going to struggle to defend that. And their main like calling card always is a seven-foot white guy with no hair. Like that, To me, it's just not a team that's ever built to go far, and there's a reason Matt Painter consistently loses when he gets into the tournament. Where are we on Duke? Because obviously, you know, Coach USA on his retirement tour, he has the big night in Chapel Hill. They turn around on Monday, lose to Virginia in kind of, like, ugly fashion. I don't know. Like, I, I didn't make too much of the loss at home other than, like, it was, they had a short turnaround and, and Virginia outplayed them. I just, when I watch them, I think they're good. I think they're talented. It's not vintage Duke. They don't, yeah, they don't reek of 
this is a title team. But I guess the bigger question is, is college basketball on the whole down? Like, relatively speaking, is Duke any worse? And so I guess that's kind of the, the question away. I could give you a take on this. Let's do it on the other side because let's talk some Duke and a little bit of the overall landscape, and then let's get into some of the games tomorrow. Let's do that next. He's Shea. I'm Jeffrey. This is BetQLU. You're listening to BetQLU with RJ Choppy and Jeffrey Wright. Good welcome you back to BetQLU. I am Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright 929 espn Shay Norling filling in for RJ Choppy. Last segment, we're discussing teams that we believe in, teams that we don't. And the conversation, of course, turned to Duke. And love them, hate them. It feels like they're the ultimate wrestler. You got an opinion on them one way or the other. Shay, you said you got a take on them. I'm ready for it. Well, I just, I think they're not vintage Duke. And I think that like they found, they struck gold, buried treasure almost uh, with AJ Griffin. And it's just fantastic player. Kind of a surprise. He's going to now be maybe a top 10, top five draft pick to nobody expected that. So that's incredible for Duke. But I do think you look at the loss to Virginia, which I don't take a lot out of because it came off the heels of coach K's final matchup with North Carolina. That's huge emotion that you are just never going to be able to replicate. I was on Virginia getting the 11 in that game, by the way, because you look at a game like that, with just coming off of massive emotional situations. I would play the other side, but I do think when you look at like 14, 14 to one to win the title, I mean, Duke's never really a bad bet, but you're right in saying, like last segment you mentioned, when you watch them, they just look okay. And I would say it speaks to a broader issue in college basketball this year that I've noticed. When you watch any team, any of the good teams, whether it's Illinois, Duke, uh, Kentucky at times, Alabama, Auburn, often I feel like they just look okay. And I think part of the issue is like the one-and-done rule has created a, a thing where guys like – remember. Ant Edwards went to Georgia of all places. And it's like, you just want to go for a year, get your tape out, get your top five pick. It's why Patrick Baldwin's in Milwaukee. Like go put your tape on, be a top five pick, go to the NBA. Like you're just coasting for a year. And I think it's created something where your point on Anthony Edwards, I saw him in person twice. And I remember because the Grizzlies were in that draft. And I remember thinking like, man, I, I don't know about this guy. Now I've been proven wrong. I mean, he's been awesome at Minnesota. Like, he would kind of disappear, but it's to your point, like, some of these guys get to college, and they're just like, all right, just, all right, I'm just here. You know what I mean? Yeah, and now you don't even have to go. You can go to the G League. And so I think the product as a whole has been a little bit diluted, and now we're seeing kind of the results of that. And, yeah, the best teams kind of just look okay sometimes. And I think maybe college basketball would be better served if you could find a way to keep guys around for two or three years. And I know that involves paying them more and, and helping these guys get on their foot, but – Man, the product is terrible this year. This is one of the worst years I can really remember watching a lot of college basketball games and going, that stunk. That was not fun. Like, every night there's some triple overtime thriller that's awesome, but you got to watch five news fests to get there. Yeah, to me, I think I think college basketball has been trending this way and that it's, it seems like there's either two ways to build a team. One. You just go get the dudes. 
Uh, to me, like the poster child's Florida State. You watch Florida State yeah. play when they don't have injury problems, you know, a, a traditional Florida State team. You watch them play, and you're like, holy hell, they are long. Like, they're just so long, so athletic. But they can't shoot, and, and they can never shoot. And so you always pick them the first couple of weeks of the tournament, and then when they run up against a team that can shoot on them, then you're like, okay, this is you got to know when to get off of them. Or the other way to build a team is try to build these highly skilled teams, and I feel like it's a lot like what we were talking about with Purdue. Iowa comes to mind. Like, they're skilled basketball teams, but they don't have dudes. And so then inevitably, when they run up against a team with dudes, it, you know, they fall short. And so I think we're kind of in this weird transitional period where I think you bring up a good point with the G League. Well, now there's another option for one and duns to go and not even have to go one and done. Just go get paid right off the bat. So teams that were maybe programs that were maybe trying to build teams with young freshmen, well, they kind of been neutered at that capacity. Furthermore, now you have the transfer portal and you'll get some coaches that, okay, well, I, I just want to get older and, and I, I want to get tougher guys. Maybe they don't have the cohesion. Yeah. And so I wonder if this is more of we're just in that weird transitional period. I'd liken it to remember like in 2007, 2008, you'd see CGI and it, on a movie and it would it didn't look bad. But you could tell, like, we were in between kind of figuring it out. The Star Wars prequels. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, it, it wasn't that it was, like, uncool and what. It just, something was off. And it might lead to more, you know, development later on. But it feels like we're kind of at that point in college basketball where no one's kind of figured out what the right formula is. And so everyone's just kind of meh. So to focus it back on like the sports betting side of things, this is why I'm having such a difficult time answering the question of what team can you really trust when it comes to winning a national title? And I'll tell you, uh, our guy, Ken Barkley, and you better, you bet had it on BetQL. Houston to me is a team that you look at and you can find them at 40 to one. Still, they're really, really good. They play in a, in a smaller conference. You know, they're kind of that cute mid-major team. People don't really talk about that much or high major team rather. And you're looking at like, they don't have a single major contributor. That's a freshman. They have a ton of experience. These guys have played together. They're really effective in what they want to do. They're well coached. It's a team to me that like of all the teams, Kelvin Sampson's been there before. Like of all the teams that I look at and I go, who am I really interested in that? I think I'm getting great value on Houston stands out. So I've got experience with Houston because I live here in Memphis. And so they're in the same conference. Houston is an incredibly solid basketball team. My concerns with them and being a title team, they've lost three of their top seven in terms of what they were expecting for production. I also think Houston, I've, I've, I've had this theory recently that there are what I would refer to as metric manipulators. Houston is incredibly efficient on offense because they rebound on the offensive end so well. They can't shoot. And so... Because they're tough and they play unbelievable defense, possessions are slow, so there's not many of them in the game. Their metrics always make them look better than they are. Like even with the Final Four run last year, I'm not. No one's taking away the banner. They earned the banner. You play who you play. But they didn't play a single. They did not play one single digit seed throughout that run to the yeah. tournament. And I just I've watched them this year. I think they were better last year than they are this year. 
but it, I keep falling back to the same problem. What if the I mean, but what if the rest of the what if the rest of the country is just not any good? Right? Doesn't that problem exist for everybody? It's exactly what I was just going to say. Is like so many yeah. teams are banged up right now. So many teams lost major contributors, but so many of them like are also going to struggle from an experience standpoint when they get into the tournament. And like offensive rebounding can be a huge boon in a one game situation where you're creating extra possessions. And Houston does that a lot where they're not necessarily all just putbacks. Like they're able to create extra possessions and milk the shot clock a little bit to the point that they're one of the slower paced teams in the country. They're going to suffocate you a little bit. You're going to have to be really efficient when you play against them. So that's another thing that really interests me. I want to pivot a little bit into some of these games happening tomorrow because there's a few really exciting ones that interest me. Florida at Kentucky. Kentucky looking like probably spread's going to be around 13 points. Do we really have any faith here in Florida? I know they've won, I think, three straight games, playing a little better lately. Colin Castleton maybe hurt again, though. Like, I, is this a spot where Kentucky maybe is lined up for a blowout? Yeah, I'm. I just, I told you, I have a formula. When Cal says, when Cal transitions from these kids to my guys, I just bet him blindly. Like, you're not going to win every bet. You're not. But I'll tell you what, uh, you're going to win way more than you lose. And to me, the more and more you watch Florida, there's something off. Like, I, I'm familiar with Mike White. He was an assistant at Ole Miss. He actually played at Ole Miss. And so I'm familiar with him. I just don't. That team is just weird. Like, they can't. If they get a lead, they can't hold it. And then if they fall behind, they somehow, like, fight back to get into a game only just to, like, fall flat on their face. I'm just at the point now where I think Kentucky's really good. I think that they – I like what you – the point that you made where – this doesn't feel about what is their future. It feels about let's try to win as many games with this team. Like they're kind of locked in. I'm yeah. just in the mode where I'm, I'm just riding Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, when I, and you look at Florida winning three straight games in the sec, they've been playing the slop of the conference, Missouri, Mississippi, yeah. Georgia. They won a game at Oklahoma state or against Oklahoma state's nice win, but Oklahoma state's also a team that dropped the game at home to Oakland, Oakland university of the horizon league. Uh, so maybe a little pimped there just by virtue of being in a good conference. So I think I would only bet Kentucky in the spot. Another one that's really appealing to me, though, Texas and Baylor, two top 15 teams by Kempom. Really exciting and kind of interesting because it looks like Baylor may open in the minus five range, but still no clarity as of right now about LJ Cryer. If LJ Cryer doesn't play, I know Texas has struggled in these spots some, but like plus five, no Cryer for Baylor, that calls out to me. Yeah, to me, with Baylor, Baylor's the team where I want to see the injury report. Uh, I'm, I'm watching Twitter on Saturday to see who is going to dress, who's going to play. Because if Baylor is anything remotely healthy, I like Baylor in this situation. This also feels like one of those games where the line's going to be like five or six, and the total's going to be like 120, and yeah. I still think I'm going to want the under. Like To me, I know Texas unders have been really low, I still like Texas unders like they just they don't want to get into that kind of game. They can't get into that kind of game. It's just not 347th out of 358th in pace. They just can't get into that type of game because if they start getting into a track meet, they're going to lose. That's just not the way that they play. One more uh, matchup in the SEC, Arkansas at Bama, looking like Bama minus five, but a little bit Jekyll and Hyde for Bama. You don't know who they are, and the only two wins really that they've had lately were against a terrible Ole Miss team 
maybe not terrible, but terrible by SEC standards. No, 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 they're terrible. They're terrible, and they're hurt. And then a Baylor team that we just talked about is banged up. So those are the only two wins recently. It's all been losses for Bama. They kind of have not been what we expected preseason, and they might be laying five to Arkansas coming off a big win against Auburn. Can Arkansas get that level back, though? So these are the two teams in the SEC where I ask the question the most. What are you? Are you good? Are you a fraud? Because you look at Arkansas, until they got the big win on Tuesday – You look at their resume, and you're just like, man, there's just not much there. But the thing with Alabama is, I think it's literally as simple as this. Are they going to make shots? Because they're just not talented enough. If they hit threes, they're usually pretty good, but they've just been, you know, it's the classic three or layup, and they're not hitting any threes. I think I'd I'd lean Bama at home, but that is the ultimate what-are-you game. I wanted Arkansas to be good so bad. I really wanted them to be good. And the win over Auburn's huge. I hope that they can make a run down the stretch, but they've been very disappointing to me. Alabama's been disappointing too, but I think I would lean Alabama here just in a get-right spot, sort of. Four hours of coverage tomorrow. Bet QLU in the action, noon till 4 Eastern. He's Shay Norling. I'm Jeffrey Wright. I want to thank you for listening to and watching BetQLU. Presented by T-Mobile the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.